Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to Inspirited Minds' The Mindful Muslim podcast where we discuss Islam, psychology, mental health and spirituality. Our theme this month is talking about domestic violence, trauma, sexual abuse and all sorts. These sorts of issues are very common in our communities but they're not spoken about and they're very rarely dealt with properly. Domestic violence has really awful outcomes on the victims themselves and on the family and in general the society and today alhamdulillah i'm honored to have very very special guests with us today so today we have um hanfia elias who's the manager of eden house uk and we have sophia bansi who is the project lead officer um for the muslim women's in prisons project so if you guys could introduce yourself and tell us uh, our listeners a bit about yourself and your work inshallah would be great yeah, sure. Um, assalamu alaikum. Uh, my name's Hanfia. So like you said, I manage um, a women's refuge called Eden House, where we deal with um, all sorts of uh, victims of domestic violence, ranging from um, general abuse to forced marriage and honour violence. Um, and we have a network of refuges. So we have one in Sheffield and one in Birmingham. And I've been there for about two years now. Brilliant. My name is Sophia. Um, I am the project lead officer for a project called Muslim Women in Prison. So I was the first person in the UK, the first researcher to look at the needs of Muslim women in custody, as well as their resettlement needs. It's quite a taboo area of work. Not everybody's heard of it. So the service that we offer, Postal Report, is we help resettle Muslim women back into community life. Uh, because of stig- social stigma and taboo, not all women can go back to their families or their communities. So sometimes it means starting again and starting again in isolation. And a lot of these women come with very complex backgrounds, often of, of abuse um, uh, and domestic violence, forced marriage, very um, culturally challenging issues. Mashallah, I mean, like you guys are doing really amazing work and filling a, a huge gap in in our society um but it's really interesting how um like you're kind of working with the same group of women but it's in two very different contexts so i want to know like from both of your point of views and through the work that you guys have done um what counts as domestic violence um in the context of, of where you guys work and who you work with um for me, I'd say it's any form of abuse or oppression that is affecting them emotionally, physically, uh, sexually, um, that is diminishing them who, who they are. Um, and it also affects uh, children uh, largely as well, especially in my line of work. Um, it's usually the women and the children that are fleeing, um, not never the men. So it's, it's, I'd say it's the abuse that's, that's um, carried out as a whole that affects them. 
I think for myself, um, you, you've rightly so mentioned the fact that we're working with the same client group. And I think with, with myself, I find that some of the women that I'm working with in, in um, prison, the Muslim women have got historic issues of abuse. So again, as Hanfi has outlined, it, it's uh, environments where women have been coerced or they've been manipulated or there's been some violence against them or aggressive behaviour which then often leads, uh, and, and the, my report findings show often that leads to um, criminal behaviour. Sometimes, uh, as, as, you know, as awful as it sounds, sometimes women have committed criminal acts just so they can get out of situations of domestic abuse and the environment that they're in because they, they just don't see any way out. Um, so that, can, that background and that historic abuse can often lead to other to, to a downward spiral, really, a downward spiral of negative behaviour. So um, myself and Hanfia very much work together. We see this as a journey for Muslim women. Um, and, and so we, we connect the dots together and look at the spectrum uh, and their travel throughout throughout um, their lives. So, well, I mean, it is such an... I mean, you guys have outlined such unfortunate realities that not a lot of people are even aware of. Um just a couple of points of interest um Hanavia, you mentioned that you never really see the the men seeking um sort of fleeing or seeking refuge i mean of course we know that domestic violence does affect uh, men as well um what you know do you, have you had any experience or do you do you know anything about you know men experience domestic violence particularly muslim men um, I'm sure it goes on and it affects um, people in all walks of life. Um, in my job itself, from what I've come across cases, it hasn't been uh, the men that have been um, physically abused. I'd say there's definitely emotional um, abuse there, especially from a cultural perspective where they've been told to um, where arranged and forced marriages have have, uh, have happened, which has then led on to um, abuse in their marriages because they, they resent the women that they've been told to marry. Um, and that continues in, in their behavior and over their marriage um, to the point where largely um, majority of the cases that we deal with are arranged or forced marriage cases um, where the marriage hasn't worked out, where the, where the, where the, where the husband has either got another um, a missus or girlfriend or wife on the side, children on the side, and he's resenting his family and he's resenting this new wife that has been brought in. Um, and that's where the abuse has, has carried as has started from. So from his perspective, obviously there is um, sort of emotional blackmail um, and more the emotional side of abuse that is occurring. But I think um, men in those, those situations, from my experience, are even less likely to seek support. From my community development experience, because I've, I've been a community development worker for about 10 years, so I haven't been in the prison system for that entire 10 years, just a couple of years. But I have engaged um, with, with families and actually males that have been victims of domestic violence. Uh, and I guess it's pretty much along the lines of what Hanfi has said, that um, there have been actually on the, on, on the opposite polar end, spouses who are being brought over from Pakistan um, and perhaps families and and. and in a cultural context, they're really seen as workhorses where they've just been bought over to earn a living. Uh, and perhaps wives are not happy with their spouses. And I have come across situations like that where men have been victims of domestic violence, um, have married in, do not have um, a permanent visa or stay within within the UK. And therefore, um, often they under, undergo 
physical abuse, emotional abuse, um, which which then obviously leads to a, it has a psychological impact. So it does, as you've rightly said, you know, it's not just w- women who are victims of domestic violence. Men are equally as affected, but feel obliged to. I guess the spouses, the families that they're living with, um, and there's a lot of uh, we we so see a lot of stigma and shame and dishonour with with this subject as well. And anyone that that comes over as a spouse very often thinks about their families. So I've had situations where men have thought about how will my how will my family back in South Asia respond to the fact that if I, if I disclose I'm a victim of domestic violence, I'll have to perhaps be deported back or I'll go back and and I'll have dishonoured um, the family name. So there's a there's a strong element of shame within men disclosing as well. But I guess it it questions your masculinity as well in some senses, where people think, well, what what sort of a man are you if you're if you can't, I guess, keep your keep your wife in check or your in laws in check. So there, there's questions around ego and masculinity there, and I find that men because of that are, are more hesitant to disclose. Yeah, definitely. But I also think that's the same kind of mentality that puts these women in uh, um, unfortunate circumstances because of their you know their ego and you know this you know bizarre desire to have women and in-laws etc in check which then leads to this you know superior uh, sort of complex um, where they feel the need to control um, their wives and, and their families and that's often it can have a snowball effect I mean am I correct in sort of thinking that yeah yeah I'd say so um it does usually start somewhere and um largely when they when when the, when these individuals are getting married whether it's a male or female and they're coming from back home to this country um first of all it's a huge culture shock and then on top of that when you've got controlling behavior and coercive manipulation those types of behavior it it kind of escalates from one thing to another and i think sometimes you see that with um uk born and bred couples that have married as well often we find um the suspicion and and paranoia can creep into relationships or just generally um there's a power struggle within a relationship where certain roles must be played and fulfilled and we all know societal roles for for women are very much changing now whereas you know the first generation that came over were very domestic bound i guess in a lot of ways men men were quite comfortable with the fact that their wives or um, their daughters or the mothers were at home and now whereas women are perhaps progressing into further education and working life alongside that sometimes i find um some men get quite anxious about that you know my wife's in the public domain and i don't know who she's speaking with or she's working with male colleagues so because of that um change in role and dynamic we find that there there's an inevitable power shift or um powers now being shared whereas like i said in the first generation the male was the breadwinner uh, and and women were domesticated and taking care of the household and i guess when it comes to dv that is that is one of the hooks that is used as well the fact that a woman is is largely dependent on the income of a man um so often that can be used to manipulate her or she's she's i guess at his mercy in some ways because she's she's obliged to him yeah absolutely um i mean one of the one of the things i wanted to um ask you guys about was um so like we're saying like a lot of the times it is down to sort of manipulation and um having you know having some sort of being another level up from the wives etc um now a lot of people say that 
men who um, do abuse their, their wives or their partners and children, etc. You know, they're very narcissistic. Now, the true definition of narcissism, I don't think anyone knows. But do you think that, you know, like the men who do such acts do you think that they learned it from someone else say their father or they watched someone do this to them and their mothers which is why in turn they're doing it or do you think that you know it's it's a matter of just environment and circumstances or do you think that is actual learned behavior I think it can't really, from our from our experience, it can't really be um, allocated to just just one thing. We we've spoken amongst ourselves before about learnt behaviour, and especially culturally learnt behaviour, where um, we we work largely with the South Asian communities, and we we find that sometimes if it was acceptable when when a male was growing up and he saw his um, father and mother and their relationships and the dynamics, say if there was some sort of domestic violence, and it just became accepted that that was a norm that can sometimes demonstrate itself in his relationship. Sometimes it can be, um, you know, personal insecurities or, you know, just biologically something that they they just feel that, you know, that's the type of personality that that they have. But yeah, quite often it's not, it's never really written on the forehead of of somebody that that, um, is a perpetrator that, you know, this is what they do. Quite often we find a lot of the women saying, well, actually, I feel like my husband lives a double a double life, you know, outside or when, when we're with other family members, he's very charming and he's, and he's quite loving and he demonstrates a very different personality. But then when we're alone, um, something, you know, he's quite sinister and something can overcome him. And those, that's when those insecurities mm-hmm. will then demonstrate themselves. So we, we haven't really sort of brought it down to, to one specific mm-hmm. area. I think it's a culmination of things that, that, that lead to it. Um, and in, environment's certainly very important, though. Um, yeah, just to add, add to what S- Sophia said about that, um, I definitely think it's not just down to one specific trait or um, environment. It's, it usually is a, is a, is a combination of, of what they see in their upbringing, um, their childhood, and those sort of gender expectations a lot of the time in, in the Asian community. Um, and I feel they're just adopting them when they when they get to that age of uh, where they get married themselves and conducting that same behavior with their their spouses now this might seem like a bit of a, a random random question and the only reason i i ask it is because of a, a recently um because of a, a sister that i've recently worked with now do you believe that or do you guys think for, and from the things that you have seen that you know sometimes domestic violence can be you know unintentional um and i don't mean physically um i'll give you an example um one sister that i was i worked with recently um, she had been sort of racially attacked just verbally while she was in the workplace and her husband got really worried. This was when all the acid attacks was going on and her husband got really worried about her um, and was sort of saying, you know, maybe you should leave off work until this comes down, etc. And it literally started off with something as simple as that. And then it slowly turned into, I don't think you should go out at all. Um, you know, some of your friends will encourage you to go out. I don't think you should go out with your friends anymore. Um, and, it, and it suddenly spir- spiraled into this, you know, big, intense ball of sort of paranoia and, and control. And sort of it kind of turned into like... Um, like as if she was uh, like sort of thinking um, wrongly or, you know, the sense that he used haram for her to go out and spend time with her friends, to even go visit her family. You know, it became wrong of her to even want these things or to even bring it up in conversation. 
Yeah, uh, I think that probably comes down more to his his insecurities potentially, um, and and the way of her, for for him to control um, something negative happening to her. He's controlling her entire environment, which is obviously going to have a negative impact on her well-being. Yeah, it does. It does feel like perhaps, uh, as Hanfia said, that that insecurity spiraled out of control. Um, maybe it's becoming some manifesting itself in some obsessive behaviours. I think if if we're honest, yeah, it might have started off as a genuine concern. You know, Islamophobia is on the rise. There are a lot of sisters, especially, you know, hijab-wearing sisters that um, project that image image of Islam. And at the moment, you know, as Muslims, we are pretty much in the dark and um, we're still trying to work on cohesion. We're still trying to keep ourselves safe as well. Um, there is a rise on, in the number of hate crime attacks at the moment. So it could have genuinely started off as a concern, which I feel from what you're describing as then absolutely spiraled out of control. Um, and, you know, th- there's no way he can keep her safe like that. She still has to live her life. So I think that's something perhaps, I, I don't know what the communication's like between the two of them, but if they did have an open discussion or seek some sort of counselling to resolve what his insecurities are or what his real concerns are, is it her safety? Is it something to do with their relationship that that, that would be really helpful for them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I think another a- aspect of it is is that the sister didn't actually realise that it was manipulation. And it was to some extent sort of mental abuse, like psychologically, it was it was traumatic for her and it was stressful for her. Um, and you know, she she kept making excuses for her husband, and she was saying, you know, you know, he's doing it for my safety and etc. How often do you guys see this in your line of work? I think denials are, has been and, and, and is still a big issue with the women that we work with. Um, and on a number of, of times, you know, we, we find that, we're, you know, mm-hmm. when you speak to women and say, you know, what, why, why did you stay around? Why did you stick around? What was it that was happening? Um, you know, a lot of the time, but, but he loves me. He does this because he loves me or um, he cares for me. And, and that's the way these men will explain their behaviors to say, you know, it's, it, if anything, I'm over caring for you. Um, and I think because we're quite emotional based creatures, women are very emotional and um, we, we, we're quite forgiving as well, actually. We're, we're, I've seen the number of women that I've come across that have been so forgiving or put up with so much their threshold to be able to put up with. Um, you know, the, this domestic violence has, has been so high. And, it, and sometimes it, that can stem from self-insecurities, not being secure in yourself. Um, the thought of being alone is so daunting for some women that they'd rather stay in, in an abusive relationship than be alone. Um, so the, the, there's a number of uh, insecurity factors, as, you know, as, as well as I think sometimes you need a reality check because when you're in a situation like that, that's all you know. That's all you know and that's all you're familiar with. And that is your comfort zone as much as it is uncomfortable. That is your comfort zone. So to step out of that and start all over again is so much more daunting. Um, So a lot of women just stay, just stay and accept the responses that they've been given um, by by their partners of, you know, I really care for you or I'm sorry. You know, some some described really... um, conflictive behaviors where you know that their partners can be so abusive and then straight afterwards you know that it'll dawn on them what they've done and and then they'll break down and cry so you know that this sort of bipolar personalities that they describe 
where I guess in some senses the men feel that they have no control over themselves or why why they're manifesting themselves as they are. Um, so yeah, it, it can be it can be a very difficult situation to to be in. Um, yeah, in regards to the to the cases and and the and the women and how they've they've dealt with um, with that, um, I have seen many cases where they've they've made excuses uh, for for this sort of behaviour, whether it's emotional or physical, um, and usually it's within the the, the women that are. Um, haven't really made up their mind whether they're gonna they're, they're gonna walk for good. Um, it's usually those, um, in my experience, that that are, are making those excuses and saying, "Oh, he's apologised. You know, he's, he's sorry. It was a mistake. He's missing the kids. You know, all the rest of it." Because they they still at that point in their life where they they're not strong enough to make that that decision. Um, and sometimes we'll have repeat cases where they'll come in and out of the hostel a couple of times. Um, so it's, it's, it's quite a contrast with some of the cases I'm dealing with um, to the point where either they've had enough, they've called the police, they've called social services and they're ready to move on. They just don't have um, the tools and services to do that themselves. So they need outside support. And there's those that are, I've had a bad day, you know, maybe he'll change and they're with us for a short period of time. Um but in those cases, it is, it is a lot of denial. It is, oh, he's sorry, oh, he, he's got a drug problem, or, you know, blaming it on something else um, rather than understanding that that person needs, needs to take ownership. Um, but again, this sort, of, uh, this sort of abuse has usually gone on for years and years and years, which has um, caused these women to have very low self-esteem and low uh, lack of confidence for themselves. And there is a part of them that, doesn't have much belief in them in, in themselves and their abilities and that if they did walk that they wouldn't be able to um set their lives up again yeah out of out of curiosity i mean especially what you said kind of here like some people are in and out of the hostel um do you feel that with the right services you know getting all the right therapies and etc do you feel it is possible to go back into an a relationship that was once abusive to then be free of your abuse like have you ever seen that you know have you ever seen that being successful or has it ever been achieved uh, we we have had cases that have gone back to to partners um but again it's one it's one of those it's one of those things where we would never i would never say to um to any of the women that i deal with don't do this, you know, and today it's their choice, whatever they want to do, I, I will support. Um, but we would just put in, uh, in place safeguarding um, policies as much as we could. You will get, you know, appropriate social services, um, the police if they need to be informed. Um, so we'll just, you know, make map out the plan for them. So if they are going back to a partner that has had reports of um, physical abuse, that they are covered and they do have a support plan in case um, things revert back to old ways. Um, but we've, we've not, we don't really delve too much into the support for, um, for the, for the male in the case. So in regards to, you know, marriage counseling and, and support with what's making him act that way, it's not something we personally do. We just look after the, the refuge and the women that we support. But yeah, I think definitely if, um, if support was accessed on both sides, maybe that could recover some of the, um, marriages. So um, I'm particularly interested, I know both of you said that, you know, both of you work with sort of South Asian uh, women. 
Um, in in terms of both your demographics, especially uh, you, Sophia, I'm interested to know, like, what are the most common types of domestic violence or uh, abuse uh, among the people that you work with? Like, what is it that like what is the most common thing that actually pushes women to do these these criminal acts i think sometimes it's a it's a culmination of factors you you know you have to bear in mind that a lot of women have been in relationships where there has been uh physical violence manipulation coercion blackmail um culturally there's a lot of pressure placed upon them and it's not necessarily just husbands that do that what we find is um, quite often women will, and, and you know, you may have heard this before, quite often women have had very difficult relationships with mother-in-laws. And sometimes within families, when they're living in extended families, they'll find that mother-in-laws are the main perpetrators where they will actually control a wife's relationship with the, her husband or obviously the, the mother's son. So whether or not they can engage with each other, whether or not they can go on outings together, step out the house, whether or not, at times, they can even sleep in the same bedroom together. Um, and, and that's been difficult to hear, actually, because as a woman, um, you would like to think that women would advocate on other women's rights for freedom. And especially when you hear stories where mother-in-laws have quite often been through a difficult patch themselves with their own mother-in-laws. Um, so a lot of a lot of the women that we've worked with, I think they've, they've just come from families where they've been confined, um, manipulated, blackmail, coerced. And I think there's there's always a sense, especially with the Muslim women that I work with, there's a real sense of self-sacrifice when it comes to Muslim women and especially South Asian women, where you're always told, think, if you disclose domestic violence, think of what it'll do for the image of the family. Think of the children, because if, if you're with a partner and you are a victim of domestic violence, um, and you break up the house because you disclose the fact that that he's he's abusing you. Um, think of what will happen to the children. Quite often, a lot of my women have said, you know, we just didn't disclose anything because um, we were thinking of our families uh, back home in, in South Asia or thinking of our parents. We didn't want our parents to fall ill thinking my daughter's going through this. Um I think one of the interesting one of the interesting things about Muslim women and offending, which I picked up in my first report, was the fact that a lot of women um, had been coerced into criminality. They were they were part of broader crimes, and when we say broader crimes, what was happening was women were disclosing the fact that perhaps they hadn't necessarily been responsible mm-hmm. for the crimes. And post release, we managed to pick up the fact that sometimes you had husbands or fathers or brothers saying, "Okay, I've done this. You're a woman. You take the blame. You'll just you'll just get less time in prison to the extent where I was under the impression that several of these women were perhaps not on on a genuine sentence in terms of have they really committed this crime or what's what's happening here? How much are they taking the fall for another family member? And for me, in a lot of senses, that's that's shame and dishonor in itself. You know, these a lot of these women were being told, well, you know, you shamed and dishonored the family name by going into the prison service. But then I looked at shame and dishonor and, and how we apportion that and who places that shame and dishonor upon women. And largely it's men that give us give us that label of, of holding the family shame and dishonor. Whereas you see this double standard where men were readily going off to prison but it was okay and it was accepted and there's a saying within our communities that you know prisons are made for men 
So there's this really conflicting behavior uh, and, and values which was it was quite troubling to sort of see that so yeah women muslim women and coercion is is a big element that that comes out others as i've said have just come from very difficult background and, and these are social issues which we as a muslim community are not very good at discussing so some women had disclosed that they'd been victims of sexual abuse others had been groomed um others others just victims of aggressive coercive behavior um and so, yeah, as, as a Muslim woman, it wasn't very comfortable to hear that. But then then to write about that and ask our community to understand that in a sensitive way was was a challenge, I guess, that, that was at hand. Um, and it's something that really needs to be researched a lot more. And I'm, I'm doing that as well as building a resettlement model within within our communities to say, look, uh, once these women have, have done their sentence, we need to forgive. This is what Allah Ta'ala says, you know, you, I'm, I'm the one that, that forgives and, and that's where we must seek our, our forgiveness. However, there's this stark contrast between cultural, cultural values um, and really those cultural values and norms and practices conflicting with our faith values. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, your report findings sound really really interesting i mean i was i was especially taken aback that the fact some women were were taking um taking responsibility of a crime that they actually d- didn't do at all um so oh, that is that is really crazy um so so to almost think that they're kind of taking on double the shame of you know being thought of as doing the crime as well as go, going to prison um that's mad. Um, so, in terms of, I mean, you guys have been been in the the field for a long time, mashallah. Has anything changed in terms of domestic violence in recent years? And, and I say that with sort of advancement of technology and globalization and things in mind. Do you feel that the the like have the rates increased, or you know, the different ways of domestic violence have become very varied? Um, I think it's. I think the the way the abuse is happening has pretty much stayed it's the same. It's the same sort of behaviour, same reasons why. Um, s- certain things have changed legally. For example, I think it was in 2014 um, that forced marriage became legally something that, that wasn't allowed anymore. Um, but up until then, uh, and even now, you know, we have cases of, of potential forced marriage that, that we support in the hostel. Um, so in, in terms of, of that and um, organisations doing a little bit more f- uh, for these women, I think in, in terms of that, there's, there's, there's changes. It's been brought to the forefront a little bit more, but changes in local communities where um, these these things could, pre- could, pre- uh, could be prevented before they escalate to that point. Um, I still feel there's a, there's a lot of work to be done in those areas. Yeah, I, I agree with um, Hanfia that from a legislative point of view, there, there's been some awareness raised around DV. Um, women's groups, especially in, in the mainstream, are becoming a lot more active and we slowly see women's groups that deal with, with um, you know, black, Asian, minority, ethnic women slowly, slowly sort of raising their voice. I feel within the Muslim community, though, um, the slow and the, cam- the, the, the campaigning is very slow yet. Um, and I think that that's for a number of reasons, because I think there's still that obvious denial around the issue. 
it's it's apparently not something that happens in our communities. It's brushed under the carpet. It's very ignored. We find a lot of the time, you know, even the institutes that should be addressing it, like the massage, you know, they, they, it's very rare that you hear on a Friday Kutba about DV. It just doesn't happen yet. They're the very institutes that um, should be sort of advocating on, on you know, the treatment of women. Um, so I think culturally, uh, Culturally, there's there's a sort of acceptance of the fact that DV happens, put up with it silently, just brush it under the carpet. Um, which again, we, we we were talking about these cultural values conflicting with with our Islamic faith values. And I think one of the other things is the strong patriarchy that we have as well. Um, some brothers uh, we find can be quite supportive about the issues. Others, you find, you know, there is still a bit of a an all boys network who will safeguard um, and perhaps discredit women that do speak up in our community about DV. There's always a fear when you're a practitioner in the field at Hanfiers or where I am that you have to tread very carefully um, because sometimes you're just written off and passed off as a feminist. Uh, you know, you're on a rant again. You're another woman on a rant again, raising these issues. It doesn't happen as frequently as you say it does. And I think that's why we're so careful to work within um Within mainstream structures, actually, we're not always here to isolate ourselves as women's groups and not ever work with another man again. I, I give my own example. I'm based in, in, in a mainstream community centre in Bradford. My project is based there. Um, and, you know, everybody in the centre, male and female, is aware of, of what I do and my project and what I work with, because ultimately I would like the brothers to support our work, increase their understanding of it and for them to help has come to some sort of solutions for this uh, and help us raise awareness amongst our community as a whole, you know, because it's a collective responsibility. Um, and I think from from a, a woman's perspective, uh, from the victim's perspective, we, are, we, we get asked, well, why is this not disclosed? And I think the ultimate fear for women um, is the fact that they just won't be believed if they do disclose DV or the fact that... Um, you know, somehow this will get turned on them. So, well, what did what did you do to deserve this? What did you do to deserve uh, being put in that situation? You must have done something. So it's unfortunate, but a woman's word is just not as valued or as strong as a man's. Mm -hmm. So, I think I think you're absolutely right in in saying that we need a lot more brothers in the forefront of this, um, because not only is it you know it's to make it you know a collaborative effort in terms of how to how to solve these kinds of issues or work towards some sort of um uh, some some sort of resolution but also i think it will put the brothers who are committing such acts in in a very uncomfortable position because it's, it's almost like well there's a brother there who's who's talking against what I'm doing or what does that say about me as a man if that makes sense like I think it almost again it goes back to the whole ego issue I think that would hit a man's ego to say that hang on why why is a man defending what my wife is going through if that makes sense yeah, yeah, no, most yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah. And I think it's important that men do hold other men to account as well, or we are aligned with men because sometimes, as I've said, it's self-isolation and, and working it in, in, um, you know, your own little corner is not, it's not always a solution because then you all we're finding is it's sisters that are supporting sisters, but that understanding and that awareness and that, 
um, general support network is is just not there. So if if people if men are not sort of taking responsibility or women are not taking responsibility of domestic violence towards men, then um, we can't possibly solve you know solve this issue. So with a lot of sort of documentaries that have been raised, uh, sorry, that have been made recently. Um, and I think this might be an issue for the younger generation of sort of victims, I say. Do you feel that, um, like sort of, you know, the advancement of technology, the increase of social media usage and things like that, do you think that's another avenue for um, for domestic violence and sort of abuse to, to happen? Like, for example, constantly monitoring the social media of your partner, um, you know, re- constantly requesting like photos and um, constant like sort of instant replies to text messages and phone calls, etc., which might not have been sort of like, um, w- which not have been available to do say 10, 15 years ago. Um, yeah, definitely. Th- I think it comes uh, it comes into it. Um, we we have cases where women weren't allowed to have mobile phones as a way of controlling who they communicate with, um, and we've we've had from that extent to um, partners recording um, s- certain uh, or taking certain photos of the women that they would then use to to blackmail them if they if they left them, um, as well as tracking them. Um, a lot of a lot of the the some of these women didn't really understand how to use this this technology um, and their partners would um, would install apps or where they can track their whereabouts and then use that against them saying you know you weren't supposed to go here I know you went here um, so I think you know technology is great and it's got many uses uh, when it's used to control and manipulate uh, an individual and blackmail them obviously th- that does come into it and um, I think it's now described as uh, cyberbullying. Um, I think we are definitely in a in a Big Brother era where um, there's a lot more scrutiny between between partners or in, in domestic situations. Um, social media in itself, or the you know the new apps that are coming out. You know, we again I've I've had the same where women have disclosed husband that was. Perhaps if, if they didn't have an instant message or partner saying, you know, I saw you online on WhatsApp, but you didn't respond to me within the first few minutes. So who was it that you were speaking to? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's obviously leading leading to sort of uh, controlling behavior, uh, paranoia and suspicion. And, and the technology really has picked up in terms of um, both avenues, really, whether it's scrutiny of a partner or controlling them with footage that you might obtain with them. So unfortunately, I've dealt with a, with a number of cases as well. And Hanfi has alluded to this where, um, yeah, women, women have, um, you know, said, OK, I, I, I committed an offence and a crime, but that was because my partner had certain pictures of me. And then they, they, they use those pictures to blackmail me, you know, as in, you know, pictures where, OK, if, if you don't do this for me, what I will do is I'll then go and show those those pictures to your family. Um, and I think women have been, you know, re, really co- coerced and, and we're, we're living in a society where body image um, is becoming increasingly um, important for young women and everybody wants to look pretty and everybody whether and that's that's women who are Muslim and non-Muslim as well, you know, even even 
practicing sisters want to go out there and look their best and look beautiful. Um, and, and in doing so, you know, you, you attract certain types of attention. And sometimes, you know, it's unfortunate, but sometimes the sisters do fall for this affection and they think it's a genuine affection that they're being given. And they sometimes see this, this young man may potentially become their husband. So there's exchange of materials, whether that's text messages, whether that's pictures. Um, and before they know it, they've, they've been snared into a very dangerous trap um, and, and, and blackmail and, and emotional bullying is, is what it leads to and often criminality. I think that's a really, really important point that you brought up. So if you know the idea that domestic violence does in fact happen outside of marriages, and, and yes, that is for Muslims as well. I mean, last month we were, to, uh, sorry, in November we were talking about premarital relationships and how the Muslim community doesn't even want to acknowledge that there are people that call themselves boyfriend and girlfriends nowadays and they can be in a relationship for a number of years before they actually you know get their nikah done and and they have a sort of a a halal relationship and I think uh, one of the things that came up in in that month is that you know marriage in Islam protects you from a number of things that a relationship doesn't and one of those things can be you know the situations that you you just said and but I, I think part of the solution is actually acknowledging that that this can happen and when it does I think that's what makes it more difficult for um, a woman to go out and get help because she's almost kind of in in a a double sort of wrong if that makes sense like she's in in a relationship that's outside of marriage firstly and and now secondly she's she's getting manipulated she's she's getting manipulated by someone who isn't even her mahram yet I mean how how common is that do you feel amongst Muslims? Yeah, I think from some of the cases that I've seen of young women coming into custody, it is quite common. And unfortunately, men will go into any any lengths, really. Um, and sometimes it's not just about manipulation and, um, you know, causing somebody else harm or control. Sometimes it can be financial gain. You know, I've seen cases where, unfortunately, women have women that have worked in banks have, you know, had had men show them some form of affection, have thought that they were uh, partaking in a genuine relationship, whereas then sometimes, you know, the, the gentleman's then turned around and sort of blackmailed them, you know, in terms of you work in a bank, I would like you to carry out ABC for me, you know, and, and that's financial fraud on or if, if you don't, the consequences are the fact that I have pictures of you. So it's what lengths will women go to to protect their honour and the family's honour? Um, and, and it's very damaging. It's, it's very damaging and, and uh, I guess quite upsetting to admit to the fact that this actually goes on within Muslim communities. But the cases that are coming through the doors do show that, um, you, you know, increasingly we're seeing, um, you know, Muslim criminality where the partners are involved. So there's been a couple of cases in the North as well where you find um, male-female criminality on on the rise, whether that is via blackmail emotionally or otherwise, or if not, just just a simple coercion. There's a criminal act. We'll carry this out together. Um, and and that's that, I think, is one of the factors that's causing the rise in the number of Muslim women coming into custody. So for both of you, I'm interested to see if there, if there is a difference or if there is a similarity. What is what is the most common form of violence that you, you guys see or you guys hear about? And in, in particular, is there any difference between different different cultures or different societies in, in terms of like, in terms of firstly coercion, manipulation and, you know, perhaps the extent of violence? Um, for example, I know in, in Pakistan, um, 
you know, honor killings are, are, are more sort of common than in other sort of South Asian cultures. I know in Bangladeshi cultures, just physical beating and sometimes even even burning is is the most that I've ever heard of. So I was wondering if you guys have heard any different or if there are common sort of threads that you guys can tell us about. Yeah, I think there are there is some sort of common behaviour in terms of the abusive side in general. Um, it was interesting that you mentioned different cultures there, like the Pakistani side and, and, and Bengali, uh, etc. Um, I've dealt with women from various backgrounds where there's been abuse from physical, uh, which is beating, slaps, uh chucking objects um, at them um, to burning them to uh, tattooing them with the, with the, the partner's names um, to abusing the children um, I will from from what I've picked up upon it's not specific to one culture or, or background um, obviously the, the environment does does play an impact a lot of the time uh, like we mentioned before with, with mother-in-laws mother-in-laws have been primarily one of the uh, biggest indicators in in the abuse and the cause of it um where she's she's in most cases has has been at the sun you know control your missus um do this t- tell her not to go out she should be at home she should be clean she should be should be cooking to the point where mother-in-laws have even named uh, their their, uh, their their grandkids and not let the parents have any have any say. So the, the control and the abuse has been um, has, has been has really varied from from smaller incidents to huge um, sort of forms of abuse and emotional blackmail. I think with some of Sophia's cases, there will definitely be correlations, but you do deal with uh, obviously yeah. a di- different demographic. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Muslim women across the board. So largely my first study concentrated on South Asian women. But generally, as my work's expanded, there's women from Arab backgrounds, you know, Somali backgrounds, Sudanese, different backgrounds. Um, I would say that honor killings are probably um, a little bit more frequent within Pakistani communities and Arab communities. Um, but I've, I've seen it across the board. And I guess it's just um, perhaps in some senses where where the family and uh, feel that they lie and uh, how damaged they feel by by the event that may have taken place, whether that's the fact that their daughter engaged in in a relationship with somebody or they just feel that that they've been dishonored, so they'll carry that out. Um, Actually, interesting, it's not just domestic violence, but sexual violence is is quite prevalent in some of the South Asian communities as well. Um, I won't say which ones, but it is, is, again, not spoken about. It's quite taboo, but often that's a controller it's, it's difficult to isolate as well because quite often domestic violence and sexual violence can then lead to psychological and emotional trauma as well. So it's difficult to isolate the few. Um, but we, we see violence uh, ac- across the board, really, uh, across the board. And there's, there's I wouldn't really, there, as although, although we can see certain patterns, I wouldn't really um, say that, that there's a definite a definite pattern, pattern there. We just deal with each each woman as an individual as she steps through the door and slowly, you know, over the weeks and months discloses to us what she's been through. And often she can be with us for um, a good a good number of years, and we we're still not fully aware of what she's gone through because um, it's so traumatic or they've just brushed it brushed it to the back of their mind, and it's not something that they want to address. So I wanted to sort of move on to the um, more social aspects to domestic violence or sexual abuse. So 
obviously we've mentioned that the victims don't often speak up speak out about it or reach out for help because of you know family image and status and things like that but why do you think you know just average people like uh, like us who are not necessarily working in the field why do you think that we don't or others don't speak about it I mean do you think it's just because lack of lack of knowledge and ignorance or experience or even even empathy why, why do you think it's not spoken about in in communities So you mean as in mainstream community providers or just as members living in communities why we yeah, don't like, speak you know, about why, domestic why violence? And just a normal topic in our conversations. Like I think Sophia mentioned that it's never delivered, like a khutbah is never delivered in, in the masajid about domestic violence. Like why isn't it? I mean, we we all know that it's it's a huge contributor to a lot of, you know, horrible things in our societies. Why hasn't it gained that much importance where we, we should talk about it, you know, almost on a daily. I think as practitioners, there's I can see a slow change where women who are working in the field are now beginning to um, collect evi- evidence-based studies, really. So when, when you see Hanfia, who's, who's um, you know, operating a, in, a, in a hostel and is working, I see that the fact that she collects one-to-one case studies very similar to myself, so we can evidence what it is that we're saying. I think in the past where there's been conversations around abuse, whether it's DV, whether it's sexual in any form, a lot of the time, unfortunately, you know, sometimes a sister will be trying to speak about this and you know, you sort of blame that you're taking something out of proportion or what's the evidence to suggest this or are these just isolated cases um, and, and these are just being magnified out of proportion. Now that you have Muslim sisters practicing in the field, what we find now um, is we find ourselves engaging in conversations with this, whether it's in the media um, and, and this is obviously what one of our outlets, this interview that we're doing with you, or whether that's in community spaces. Unfortunately, I think you have to gather some sort of credibility and momentum as a woman yourself when you speak around this issue. Because the first thing, because we live in such a strong patriarchy, the first thing that will happen is somebody begins to question your credibility and your experience and your voice. And how can you speak about this? Where is it that you've come from? So now I, I do see a lot of the sisters that have started to work in the field actually pick up on evidence in what's been happening um, and and using that evidence then to project a voice. In terms of communities, you know, it's, it's been a very latent issue. It just hasn't been spoken about. South Asian communities, it's been absolutely sort of brushed under the carpet. Only isolated cases come forward. And yeah, communities have not been ready to do that. Um, the organization that I work for at the moment, we, we, we do constantly try and push at the door. So the Kidmet Centers in Bradford is a project um, of the Council for Mosques Bradford. So the Council for Mosques Bradford is, is a network of 96 mosques and madarises in Bradford. And I know where we are, their delivery arm, the Kidmet Centers. And I know at this, this moment we are actively pushing on the door and saying, um, can we have some of our Mulanas come together and some of our Alimas and Muftis and speak about domestic violence, even if that means um, taking testimonies from from women or men who have been victims of domestic violence and the reasons why, because we just feel um, the number of cases are just snowballing now. They're really snowballing and we need to face face a reality as a community. And the reality is that there's a certain toxicity to our to our cultures 
which is now conflicting with with our Islamic faith values. And when something is that toxic um, and there's been malpractice or bad practice taking place, then you need to let that go and you need to be honest with yourselves and your communities. And you and really a lot of our faith institutes need to to honestly address the issues that we as a community are facing. And, and this is one of the issues. And, you know, it's so disheartening because, you know, Islam gives women so many rights Yet when you look at the reality on, on the ground, it's not always so. I think you, you answered half of my next question, actually. And I was going to ask, you know, what dynamics do you think need to be changed within our communities to to offer that free space to, to victims and to obviously prevent these issues as well? And, you know, one thing that I picked up on, which I feel is really important, is is honesty and, you know, being an being a community that can actually stand up and say, actually, yeah, we have had it wrong all this time. Um, yeah, definitely following on from what Sophia said, I think communities do need to take uh, a level of accountability um, for what's happening in the community, what, you know, what's happening to these men and women that are living on your doorstep, uh, that are attending your kutbahs, uh, coming to your events, but for some reason still don't feel comfortable to speak to you about, um, about what's going on at home. You know, the, uh, from an Islamic perspective, a mosque should be a place that... that everyone should get comfort from, whether it's, you know, just going to a kutbah or whether it's disclosing something that they're struggling with and they should be able to get the support there before anywhere else. Um, but, you know, that's that's not that's not the where we're at yet um, in terms of wider communities. Me and Sophia are very big on collaborative working and we always try to work with other like-minded organisations and individuals to bring... Um, you know, more awareness on these issues. Um, we're planning some some events for, for throughout the year, inshallah, as well. So I think uh, getting the right people on board is obviously definitely half of the battle. Um, and educating the imams and local communities to to give them the confidence and the tools to to discuss these these matters more openly. Yeah, I think just coming coming back to um, divorcing those culturally regressive practices. Um, from from faith values is is a really important one for me, and yeah, that does mean being honest, being honest with ourselves as what our commitment is as Muslims to our communities and um, and and those sisters within our communities that that do need help. I think unfortunately sometimes um, when some of our victims have thought of it with an Islamic mindset. There is this issue of, of letting things go. I know a number of my women have said, yeah, I've been a victim of abuse. And yeah, my husband did did sort of, um, did wrong me really, but I let Allah, Allah deal with that. Um, there's something there about actually standing up for your hack and your rights as well. And I think sometimes not always letting it go is a solution. You have to take action yourself. You know, you have to you have to take, do some sort of harkat and then hopefully there'll be some barakat in that as well. You know, that Allah Ta'ala will help you once you've helped yourself. So I think sometimes some of the some of the victims do need that support where they are coming forward and they are um they are actively trying to challenge what happened and what went wrong. And that requires a lot of strength. But I think at the moment, we're just not fulfilling our duties and obligations as a community. And, and we are, um, you know, and, and I have these conversations with Hanfia as well, sometimes saying, look, it is quite troublesome that sometimes as a community, we have a very outward piety where, you know, we're, we're very outwardly facing Muslims, whether that's, you know, we'll pray five times a day or, you know, we, we wear hijab or have our beads. And from the outset, from the outside, we look like a very practicing 
uh, ritual practice in community. However, we're just declining to um, meet some of the social issues and some of the pain and the hurt and, and the emotional turmoil within our communities. Um, and, and, and the social issues are a real challenge, you know, and I've said before as well, I feel like our communities very much, very much in, in the dock at the moment. Um, and that is for me personally to do, to do with malpractice, with, whether it's ignorance, whether it's ignoring issues, whether it's brushing them under the carpet, just not addressing what our duties are. Um, and, and in some senses, as a community, we're, we're failing on that front. We're really failing on that front. And um, I do think, as, as Hanfia said as well, with um, massages, we could be doing a lot more. 100% agree there should be places where anyone, whether that's a victim of abuse, whether that's an ex-offender, whether that's somebody just, just needs some mentoring as, uh, or a chat, um, can go in and, and speak to an imam, speak to an alima, speak to a person and just say, look, look, I need some su support and I need some help. But I guess those establishments need to be ready and open and willing to have conversations and, and perhaps also be be upskilled in those areas not everybody necessarily has an idea of what dv looks like or what forms it can manifest themselves in but i think as as we're evolving as a community and our needs become more and more complex we do need practitioners in those and it really surprises me because you know alhamdulillah we have people from all walks of life going to pray in the massages you know doctors counselors teachers and sometimes it may just mean a professional giving an hour or two of their week to say look i can do a drop-in surgery at the mosque i could do a drop-in surgery if anybody needs me or if anybody needs my support i'm here and i'm here to listen um and advise and signpost uh, and, and I guess it's about restructuring according to need. And hopefully, inshallah, I hope we're going to see some more of that. We're definitely trying to do some more of that in Bradford um, and have those those open conversations and say, come on, we, we need to be more realistic with where we are um, and, and we need to change the way we do things as well. Because if we don't, we, we'll be losing our community and, and more importantly, we'll be using our, losing our young people. Yeah, I think absolutely about the about the young people. I mean, I think it's 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 uh, you know if if we're being hundred percent real here, it is difficult for young people to to be Muslim right now, and you know especially for young girls like we said earlier with the rise of Islamophobia. So you know if they were ever put in that position, you know they need to know, and obviously this applies to young males as well. And obviously you know they need to know that there is a place for them to go to if such issues did occur, inshallah not, um, to ensure that that safe space. So I do think that is that is really important for the future of, of our our communities as well so i know you guys you know briefly touched touched upon what i'm about to ask a few times um but what what does islam actually say about domestic violence because it, you know the response to this is so varied some people even use islamic concepts to justify domestic violence and sexual abuse etc and others use it to say that you know just say no it doesn't exist in our in our communities it's not a part of islam etc but never quite delve into you know, how we should actually deal with it from a religious perspective or have we been given any solutions from a religious perspective? Um, the, way I, the way I look into that is Islamically there is a zero tolerance policy on abuse of any sort or, or oppression of any sort. Um, I think there's different perspectives on how, for example, particular ayats of the Quran might have been um, interpreted um, but I think it, in most cases there's a, there's a general consensus which which would advise that it's it's not it's not something that you turn to. 
Um, I think Islamically, the, the, the issues that we both um, are having when, when Islam is used is it's mixed with culture. Um, and it's that culture that um, that is getting mixed with, with, the, with the Islamic side of things where people are, are bending and twisting, um, twisting things to suit themselves. And, and unfortunately, in, in a lot of the cases, uh, the women that are being abused don't understand Islamic from an Islamic perspective, what their rights are and what Islam says about uh, domestic abuse, uh, what it says about oppression. And if they understood their rights, they may be a bit more prone to to get in support from it a, a lot quicker than they do. I think, yeah, for, first and foremost, for me, um, without getting into the complexities of it, uh, Islam is about humanity. It's about fairness uh, and equality and, uh, and being just and not causing any harm. And if we just go off those very basic principles of, of Islam, um, then then domestic violence or any sort of abuse doesn't factor into that. Um, I think people do sometimes overcomplicate it. People definitely try to justify. Uh, we've seen men try to justify some of their actions as well. And perhaps this needs some clarification from the ulama as to what um, the consensus is, but only, that can only come once we start having open conversations about DV. Um, but if we go off the essence of Islam and, and, and that fact that it's embedded in humanity, then, then we see no place for DV in Islamic practice. Um, and Hanfi is completely right. It's a cultural toxicity that sort of um, really justifies, justifies the use of, of, of force and, uh, and coercion and manipulation and abuse to make these women believe um, and so there is a real case there for divorcing those two practices uh, and coming back to the faith and coming back to the to the book in essence of Islam. So, I, I mean, this has been a really insightful and great discussion for, for me personally. And I really want to thank you guys again for, for coming on and, and doing doing the podcast with us. Um, but is there any information that people can, um, like, where would you suggest for people to find out more about the work you do or to get help, etc.? Can you advise any particular sort of websites or, or contact numbers or anywhere that we can find that, inshallah? Yeah, I mean, with myself, I do have a, quite an active Twitter page. Um, so that I, people can find out a lot about what, what we're doing in terms of research around Muslim women in custody, the types of practices and initiatives that we're, we're trying to get going. So that's my Twitter handle is at MWIP in capitals. So at MWIP project. So you'll be able to, to find me there. Um, and if anybody's in the Yorkshire area, my project operates from the Kidmet Centres in Bradford. Um, and for my project, we have a website, uh, which is uh, EdenHousesUK.com. Um, there's also a link on that page. If, if uh, any women are um, going through anything that they're struggling with, they can send uh, an email that will, will go straight through to our mailbox, which we can then contact them um, when it's when it's uh confident when they've got some 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 space to, to to disclose that information we would never call someone where we haven't checked with them that it's it's a safe space for them to speak brilliant mashallah all of that information will be um tagged on the website inshallah so i mean one hour really isn't justice to this topic and the immense amount of work that you guys do but before we finish we do have just three questions that some people have sent in to ask you guys um so i will paraphrase because um they are they are quite long so this is um 
from a sister. Um, no, actually, sorry, this is from a brother, mashallah. So he has said that there is a sister in his student society, so he's at university. So there is a sister at his ISOC um, events that she that she's she's often with her husband. Actually, she's always with her husband. Um, and he's saying that usually they seem quite happy, but um, a couple of weeks ago, um, she had bruises on her arm and when she was asked about it she just you know she pulled her sleeve down and, and just sort of banished uh, sort of just um uh, brushed the topic off and apparently a week later she showed bruises on her face and again used the used the same excuses that she just walked in into something um and apparently at events her husband is usually seen as very overprotective and very controlling he always so this is exact quotes he always gets the food and asks her to sit down and stay sat down whenever she's seen speaking to someone he usually rushes over and doesn't usually like her to network what sort of thing uh, what should I do in this sort of situation I think um it's, 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 it's quite sensitive I, I guess because the brother that's called in is is um asking for advice is another male but I would advise in this situation if there is another friend of this sister that he's aware of. If a female could perhaps approach her and have that conversation with her in a sensitive way to say, look, I, I don't think you've been yourself or I've noticed some some patterns of behavior or some forms of, um, you know, bruising on you. And I just wanted to make sure that everything was okay. Or just to let her know that you're there for her, because when you question a woman, it doesn't necessarily mean that she'll answer there and then. But if she thinks that, look, there's another woman there, she's compassionate, she's aware of the fact that I'm going through something, you pretty much sometimes become that lifeline for the person. So, um, you know, as long as she knows that there's somebody there, another, you know, there's another female there that cares, that's aware um, and, and has sort of, you know, given her olive, olive branch and said, look, you can speak to me. This is my number. Speak to me. Um, and, and it would help if it was a close friend of hers or a sister of hers. So she doesn't she doesn't automatically, the shutters don't go up and, and, and she doesn't sort of shut the conversation down and never look at it again. Um, but obviously, if this if this brother is a friend of hers and, and he's known her for some time, I can see why he would be concerned. Uh, but I just feel sometimes the sisters are, are more open to conversations with, with other sisters. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think if she, if she knew of a potential outlet where she could potentially disclose this, even if it was at a later date. Um, also, with with cases like like this, it's unfortunately it's, it's down to when they feel ready or if they wanting to um, actually speak out and get that support. It seems that if if it is um, a case of of DVs, it seems that 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 is that way. Um, that she's probably very heavily controlled and very fearful of her husband. Um, so to get her to that point where she's she's um, open to discuss that, um, like Sophia said, coming from someone very close to her would probably be um, a good starting point. Brilliant, and also I also think it's very praiseworthy to to for the brother who actually sent in the question. You know, it's really great that you know we were just discussing earlier how brothers should get more involved, and you know it's really fantastic to see brothers are actually concerned about sisters when you know in. in uh, you know, in other sort of situations, I probably wouldn't have, you know, seen that as an issue. Um, so if the brother is listening, you know, mashallah, jazakallah for um, letting us know that there are brothers out there who do actually care. Um, so the next question is, um, 
this is from a sister she's saying um my friend recently got married it's been about three months she was really happy at the beginning and her usual self recently she's turned very impulsive and she turns up at my door at random hours of the night saying that she wants to do really random things when I approached her saying that this is unlike her because she's usually very um she's usually very calm and calm natured um and she she said she disclosed to me that she sometimes feels that her husband is controlling um when I after reviewing the situation I just thought that her husband just seemed like a very caring husband he just wants to know where she is going at what time but over time this has become a real concern for my friend her impulsive behavior has gotten worse I'm not entirely sure what to do um so I think that's that's a really really difficult one actually um but what do you guys think about that I think transitioning from um I guess, single and family life into married life is a big change in itself. You know, you're going into a new family, a, a new set of dynamics. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, husbands can view you as their, as their responsibility. And sometimes they take it a bit further and as their property. Um, so I think settling into that, into that period, you know, this is like uh, the first three months of this, it, it can be very difficult. You know, I've, I've had family members and friends that have married into families and sometimes they find that environment, environmental change quite daunting. Some find it quite suffocating um, that, you know, it, it's as though they've passed from, from, I guess, the guardianship of their parents to somebody else. And some, some people really struggle with it and find it hard to manage. So quite erratic or, or sporadic behavior might be due to the fact that she actually feels quite um, suffocated or she feels that, you know, she just needs to get out and maybe live some of her old life that she used to do. Maybe she's comparing the two lives that she's had um, and and just just wants a bit of freedom. I find that with sisters quite often when they, when they get married, the first couple of periods, you know, it's like they have to change themselves as a person and adapt to this new environment and adapt to these new people around them, whether that's in-laws and husband. Um, and sometimes they, they miss their old life. So they just think, oh, I'd, I'd like to go back to that. or I'd like to to feel like myself again. Mm -hmm. and, and and that's just an, a naturally evolving, um, you know, stage in a person's life. So it, it feels like perhaps a sister does want, um, you know, she, she just wants to have a bit of fun or she wants to be with her friend. I think it may warrant some sort of conversation between the two friends to say, look, look, what's going on? Are you struggling to settle in or um, is, is there something more happening? This is very natural to feel, you know, a, a bit dislodged and a bit out of place because, you know, what you've done is, is a big life transition. You, you've actually made a really big move. Um, so it may be a conversation between the two friends to say, is everything else, is everything okay at home? Is everything okay with your husband? Um, and, and just to let, just to comfort her and let her know it's quite natural to feel like this. It's quite natural to feel like you want to go out or you would like a break or there's certain times where it feels like she's getting to the point where she's just perhaps, um, you know, she, she's, she's at the end or she's just snapping and just really wants to leave the house at that time if it's irregular hours. But I think it's more than anything, it's a conversation that's bubbling. Um, yeah, no, following on from that, I think, um, obviously it's a, there's, there's been a huge change in her life and some individuals deal better with change and some don't so much. Um, I think the, the friend of this sister should maybe discuss with her um, and try to try to try to 
delve in to understand the the triggers of her behavior because if she knows what's triggering it if it, you know if it's a her husband doing something or in-laws doing something which is making her act in a certain way um then maybe they can then tackle those those uh, the, uh, those problems but without knowing the triggers and what's what's setting her off to this erratic behavior it's going to be very difficult to um to resolve I also think that this is like the perfect scenario to sort of um, raise awareness to sisters of, you know, what domestic violence actually is, what it entails, what manipulation actually is. So one, they're aware of when it's happening to them and two, they're able to make a distinction of when it's not happening, happening to them. So what their sister might feel like, like you, like what you guys said, what it might feel like manipulation and controlling is actually just her adjusting to her environment. It might not necessarily, not, not taking away her experience or her vulnerability, but it, you know, it might just be her adjusting to her environment and it might not actually be manipulation or domestic violence as such. Um, so the last question, um, this was a really, really long one, so I'm going to paraphrase again. Um, <clears throat> so this was a really brave sister, mashallah. So she messaged saying that she has been married for four years um, and their first year of marriage was perfect and it was everything that she had imagined. Um she can't remember what the uh, why the argument started, but it got very heated, and her husband had chucked a um, bowl at her. Um, it had missed her by a meter, she said, so she doesn't feel that it was directed at her. Rather, it was just frustration from her husband. He apologized greatly and got her lo loads of gifts, so she didn't think it was a big deal. It happened again six months later, but this time he chucked a phone at her. It didn't hurt, but it left a mark, and again he did the same thing. Nothing has happened since, and it's been a year since the last time it happened. However, sometimes when we get into arguments, he does get very angry, starts shouting, and sometimes I can see it in his eyes that he wants to get violent. What should I do in, in these situations? Is it enough for me to take action? I'd say definitely it's it's, it's enough to, to take action if he's being um, aggressive and, and violent in, in that way. And it's probably an intervention where he needs to seek some support for his for his own anger issues. Um, I'm not sure if the sister has had those conversations or feels she can have those conversations mm -hmm. with him yet. Um, but I'd say even, you know, the first incident was enough for her to, to seek uh, support or advice um, or, or have a conversation about, you know, potential anger issues and, and what's causing that. And, you know, if they need some sort of marriage counselling, um, anger management for for a husband yeah definitely i think if, if you're in a if you're in a marriage and you you begin to feel hesitant or uncomfortable um in, in having certain conversations or, or or you flinch every time something escalates it's, it's showing anxiety isn't it it's showing anxiety on the sister's part um and and this is a husband that their their relationship would be should be one of love and care and trust and if she feels um, she she's likely to be damaged or likely to be hurt within that relationship, then that's that's not healthy. It's not healthy for either of them. So I think if she, if she could find it, um, if she would be comfortable enough to broach the subject with him and say, look, what happened at, at this in these particular two incidents? What was that about? If they could manage a conversation in that, um, they, they may need some intervention, you know, and sometimes I've found that 
sisters have sought advice from, you know, the, a family, a male family member, Mehram, they might have asked their brother or their father to maybe intervene in a situation, not to escalate it, but just to say, you know, as, uh, as another man, um, this sort of practice is not acceptable. And, you know, my sister or my daughter has disclosed this. Can we have a discussion about this? And, and men respond very differently when, I guess, they're held to account by other men, whereas sometimes when it's a female that holds them to account, especially one that they feel um, that, that, you know, they can't really control their feelings around them or they, they you know, feelings escalate when they're around their wife. It may mean a, a family member just having that sensitive conversation with both of them and saying, look, what was this about? But then that also becomes, I guess, some sort of support system for the sister where she thinks that, okay, there's a third party that's aware. So if anything does go drastically wrong or get out of hand, I can seek advice from within the family. Again, if, if she's not comfortable with that and she'd rather speak with a neutral person, then I think counselling is... Um, is a way forward, but to remain in a relationship where where you know you, you feel uncomfortable um, every time you know every time something is out of place, it's it, it's not healthy, and it won't be a healthy environment for any children or anybody else within that family as well. So yeah, I think I think the sister needs to um, approach the subject very very sensitively and take into consideration who she can get involved. It's very brave of her to to have that discussion. As you said, there's been these two two incidents, uh, and Alhamdulillah, there hasn't been anything for a year. But again, it's it's causing anxiety for her to think there might be something in the future. Absolutely. I mean, I take away two, you know, really important things from what you guys said. I mean, one is it's interesting how she put a time frame on these events as if to almost say, you know, should I worry about it? Even though it's it's been a year, almost like, a you know, an illness. It's been two weeks. I don't have the symptoms anymore kind of thing. And I think it's important that, you know, to know that you can't put a, a time frame on these things like um, Sophia and, and you, Hanfia, have said, um, you know, once is, is enough to, to raise a concern about it and really interestingly about um, getting mahrams involved and how men react differently when other men hold them to to account and um, you know I can't speak for for other cultures but particularly in mine as a, as a young Bengali I always see like the the brother-in-law to brother-in-law the son-in-law to father-in-law relationship is always a very shy and timid one very reserved there isn't that sort of comfortable you know come to me with your issues if you have them kind of relationship and I think it's really important to to build that relationship before um you know before uh, before a marriage at all in order to have that safe environment for for everybody I do think that that is vital to a healthy marriage as well yeah yeah definitely and it, and it gives um you know the, 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 unfortunately women in isolation can be seen as being quite weak um, and that shouldn't be the case, but it is. And, and, and behavior manifests, this behavior manifests itself more in environments where, um, you know, loneliness and, and, and isolation is, is really capitalized upon. So the more people involved in this, the more networks and support systems that the sister has around her, the less likely it is that, uh, you know, the, her husband will, will engage in, in that sort of behavior um, and inshallah, the, the discussions should be quite, um, you know, the discussion should should bring a lot to, to the forefront. And a lot of the times what we find is, you know, one of the most interesting things we find is often perpetrators of uh, domestic violence have been victims themselves. 
So we don't know what's gone on in this brother's background. We don't know whether at some points he was a victim of domestic violence himself. Is it learned behaviour? Is it some something that he feels he has to do uh, as part of his masculinity? Where is this coming from? Um, but but yeah, the one of the most interesting ones that you know myself and Hanfia speak about is the fact that most perpetrators were once victims themselves, and there's there's undisclosed baggage and undisclosed issues which they haven't dealt with. So we actually don't know how much help this brother needs himself. Mashallah. Okay, so Jazakallah for for your participation in in today's pod, podcast again. It's been really really beneficial, and, and inshallah, it reaches out to to all the people that that need it. Um, so uh, again, you know, Jazakallah for all the work that you guys do as well. May Allah reward you in abundance. Um, so again, all of the uh, project details, website and social media will be available on the website. It will be tagged. So please do uh, check them out. Um, we pray that Allah is able to um, ease the affairs of a victim in any of the situations I have spoken about. We pray that Allah gives strength to the victims to be able to reach out and, and get help. Um, and, and we pray that as an ummah, we are able to stick to the sunnah and the Prophet's mannerisms and how he dealt with, with, with people as well. I mean, um, so next month we are talking about self-harm and uh, self-destructive behaviors. If you would like to be a guest or if you would like to ask any questions regarding this topic, please do email info at inspirationminds.org.uk. And until next time, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Zammiluni, zammiluni, dafiruni, dafiruni A mighty task has come before me I need you here with me by my side By my side, by my side